welcome to the third episode of Games with Toasty. Today we are going to be looking at review scores and whether or not they are still relevant. And in addition, we're also going to discuss the concept of completing a game and whether or not you need to do that prior to reviewing a title. So butter up and slide in because we are about to get a bit deep here. Review scores have existed for almost as long as the games industry itself, coming up to around about 40 years. And the question is, are review scores still relevant today or do they need to be removed entirely in favour for a new system? So first, what are the benefits of a scoring system? Well, the most obvious benefit of a review score is the quick access to a very basic overview of a reviewer's experience. So you can see at a glance what a reviewer thinks of a game without having to read 1,000 to 1,500 words worth of opinion and text. This is especially useful when you are comparing similar games. So if you're comparing, say, a Dragon Quest with a Final Fantasy, you can, or at least classic Final Fantasy, you can see at a glance which one is quote-unquote better based on just the score alone, which is very handy for digesting multiple reviews of multiple products at once. This doesn't necessarily work when you start applying these scores across genre, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Other benefits of the scoring system is that you can get aggregates. So you can go to places like OpenCritic or Metacritic, then you can find the average score of a particular game and then compare that with practically every game on earth. And then you can determine the global average of any particular game. These are all incredibly handy tools for quickly deciphering things. But in my opinion, these benefits are vastly outweighed by the negatives. The first negative being each individual publication uses its own scoring system. There isn't a universal scoring system. So a different publication like Nintendo Life will have a slightly differing set of criteria that determines a game's quality and therefore score compared to say compared to, say, the print publication Edge, who have notoriously strict scoring criteria. This lack of universal scoring code means that a 7 somewhere could mean a completely different score to a 7 somewhere else. This makes the idea of an aggregate scoring site like Metacritic or OpenCritic completely irrelevant. There is no unified code to guide them, it all ends up just being gibberish. From a different perspective, a arbitrary number at the end of a review doesn't actually tell you much about that game. That's what the text is there for. And as someone who reviews games all of the time, it becomes frustrating when you have to assign a number to your review because that number doesn't adequately express your feelings on the game. That's where the text is there for and those numbers get taken out of context, they get taken into online 
flame and hate wars, console wars, all these things are fueled just by these arbitrary numbers assigned to the end of well-written and well-composed text. You can't get the true opinion and the reason for the score without reading that text and so many people don't do that so they miss all the context as to why Mass Effect Andromeda got a 6. You might think it got a 6 because it's universally bad. You don't actually know why. You'd fail to see the reason why it's bad is because of its, at the time, technical issues, its bugs, its frame rate problems, its horrendous motion capture, its bad story. There's a lot of things that go into it, but one of the things that you would completely miss is the fact that Andromeda has a very interesting combat system that actually keeps the game flowing and interesting more than you would assume from a score of a six. You can apply this to every game and and the idea of just distilling a complex stream of thoughts and opinions and even biases into a single number it isn't effective. It was never really effective but it's especially not effective now with the dawn of things like social media and Metacritic which warps everything into a weirdly congealed mess. And this sentiment isn't shared by me alone. A lot of websites have stopped using review scores. Websites like Eurogamer, for example, no longer use them. They use a system where they just ask, is the game good? And the answer is yes or no. Simple as that. It's not perfect because again, it's distilling that that complex thought stream into a simple one-word answer, but it is much better than a arbitrary number, which ultimately means nothing. At the end of the day, to truly understand why someone thinks a game is good or bad, you need to read that text, and reviewers put a lot of work into that text. That's potentially hours of hard work being completely overlooked because people are so entranced by the idea of a digit. If the text means so little, then why do we even write? You might as well just have Hades 10 out of 10 and give no explanation. I, as a reviewer, still use review scores purely because enough people want them. A Nintendo Life poll showed that roughly 80% of their viewership in 2018 wanted to keep review scores. So as anti-journalism-y review scores may be, the consumer of the reviews and the product clearly still want them. So retaining them on your own website or on the websites you write for is almost a must because too many people require that number as ultimately useless as they may be because there isn't a universal score. If there was a universal code that was established and used by every publication or the majority of publications then this wouldn't be a conversation really worth having because it would make more sense. Sure you would still have the issue of the text being ignored but at least the score would have a more universal meaning especially when applied to a site like OpenCritic. So in the second part of this podcast still on the topic of reviews is the concept 
or the current discourse surrounding reviewing a game without getting to the end of the main story. I'm going to come out and say right now that I complete the vast majority of the games that I review. However, I don't think it's required in many cases, especially games that are bad. Let's kick off this one-sided discussion with the negatives or the argument that you must review a game to completion, or at least the main story to completion, to formulate an effective opinion. On the surface, this makes sense. For example, if you look at other mediums, like movie reviews, it's almost universally agreed upon that if you leave a movie before it ends, then you shouldn't review it. You can still give your opinion on what you saw, but to give a fully comprehensive review, such a thing shouldn't happen. Therefore, if you apply this to video games, you shouldn't review a video game in a similar manner if you don't complete at least the main story. This is a mindset that, in my opinion, is highly flawed. Movies are a linear progression of events. You go in, you sit down, you watch a string of images on screen that you have no control over, you absorb the content, you like it or you don't, you leave, you review. You have no impact or control over it and the act of watching a movie is between 90 minutes and let's say two and a half hours on the upper end of that scale. And let's say if you watch that movie two or three times, you might invest about seven hours into a movie before you review it. The modern trend of games is that seven hours is not common anymore. Games are getting longer because people are demanding more content. So the first hurdle for a professional reviewer is, am I getting paid enough to review this game? And honestly, the answer is almost always no. Let's say you are asked to review The Witcher 3. The Witcher 3 is about 40 to 50 hours long. On a first playthrough, you'd be expected to do some side quests. So you can, that number will jiggle up. It might jiggle down a bit, but it'll probably go a little bit higher than that 40 hour mark. And that is five to six times longer than a typical movie reviewer would be expected to invest in purely digesting what they're seeing on screen. Not to mention the physical strain of playing a game under a tight schedule. Because let's not beat you around the bush here. Game developers experience crunch where they have to put a fuck ton of hours into making the game. Reviewers can sometimes get a game and only have a matter of days to complete that game and review it. Now, completing a good game of that length is not an issue. Sure, it's 40 hours you're not getting paid for, but it is, on the other hand, 40 hours of enjoyment, followed by you having a very strong foundation to build your review on. The same cannot be said for bad games. Let's put the recently released Scarlet Nexus on the block here. I thought Scarlet Nexus was a bad game. It's not to go, not to go into the review, of course, but it was around about seven hours of good game followed by roughly 43 hours of utter tedium. 
you could review Scarlet Nexus very easily after around about 15 hours. Your first playthrough will take 25. You could review Scarlet Nexus after 15 and have a perfectly accurate review. It would hit every point. And I know this as not just a reviewer, but a gamer. Gamers don't express their opinions after completing a game. Gamers express their opinions after literal minutes of play. Gamers express their opinions without ever playing the game. But of course, reviewers are held to a higher standard and rightfully so. Reviewers also have much more experience playing terrible, terrible games. And you can tell that a game is bad long before you get to the end. And you can tell that a game is not going to get better if the story picks up. And that's because story in the majority of games isn't important. Not really. Here is out. So in a movie, the story is, for the most part, the most important part. You are there to witness the events of a plot and enjoy or not enjoy the culmination of those scenes and acts. Stories and games are not that. Stories and games are a side dish to the main course. The main course is gameplay. And the idea of completing a story or a campaign is to get to the end of the plot, which is mostly irrelevant. The plot is not important enough to carry a game in most situations. A game with bad gameplay is awful. That's just the end of it. A bad story can be ignored. A bad story can be skipped. You can't skip bad gameplay. You've got to slog through bad gameplay. Sometimes 50 hours of terrible gameplay. And you have to do that because apparently the also equally bad plot has to be completed to have that opinion validated. It doesn't make sense. The legendary John Carmack made a accurate description of video game stories that of course can't be applied to every game because every game is different. Some games are entirely narratively driven such as the game in the visual novel genre but for the most part you can apply the quote which is video game plots are like plots in pornos you expect it to be there but they aren't necessarily the main focus and he's correct he is 100% right video game stories nine times out of ten cannot save a bad game and as a reviewer you can tell when a game is bad and you can very easily articulate why that game is bad long before those credits roll because let's be honest most games tend to cap out their mechanics very early and then you've just got to slog through tedium and hope that that game has enough clever little tidbits here and there to distract you from from that monotony until you get to the end and that is just gaming in a nutshell but let's just say for a moment that you have to complete a game in order to review. Let's say I agree with that standpoint. But let's say a game that is a bit more ambiguous with its actual runtime. Let's say a game like The Binding of Isaac. The Binding of Isaac has hundreds of hours of unique content and gameplay and story. At what point do you stop playing The Binding of Isaac to review. Do you stop playing after you beat mom for the first time? 
Well, that's only about 10 hours of gameplay, if that, and doesn't delve into the vast majority of the game. So how about going to the next last boss, quote unquote last boss? That also isn't enough because there are many last bosses in the Binding of Isaac. At what point do you stop fighting these last bosses? Because the game adds more and more and more and each one adds more story and context to the world that is being built through the Binding of Isaac's eerily creepy and disturbing narration. It could be argued that if you want to review the latest expansion pack, which has roughly 500 hours of new content, that you would have to complete all 500 hours of that expansion pack, in addition to the hundreds of hours of the base game before you are ready to review. That is hundreds upon hundreds of hours of content you'd have to play through to get a real opinion and nobody in their right mind would do this. So many games in the games industry are not finished to completion because it's simply not viable. It's not financially viable. It's a waste of time. And most importantly, it is so genre specific. There is no point in playing a game like The Binding of Isaac to completion for review or any roguelike. It's simply not feasible. These games are too long. They are designed to last potentially forever. Some people have put in multiple thousands of hours into The Binding of Isaac and they're still learning new things. It's not feasible to do this. It's not feasible as a industry or as a profession to ask someone to play even a hundred hours, multiple tens of hours into a game is ludicrous, especially if that game is bad. Bad games do not need to be reviewed to conclusion. Bad games are bad and you can tell they are bad long before the game tells you you are finished. And that's the simple fact of the matter. Game reviews are simply not the same as movie reviews. They are much closer to food reviews, in fact. A food critic who takes a mouthful of steak and realises that steak tastes like crap is not going to finish that steak. He's going to have a little bit of that and go, that's a bit naff, and then stop and review to say it's a bit naff. That is the exact same mentality that can be applied to the games industry because you can tell you are interacting with this product and you know through decades of experience if something is bad. The caveat being you need to play enough to make sure it's actually as bad as you think. A game like Scarlet Nexus, for example, adds in new mechanics all the way to roughly the 17 hour mark. You can absolutely screw up a review if you don't play that far. And it all comes down to experience. A lot of reviewers have had decades in the industry and they know when to stop to review. It's very obvious. And even as a player, you know this. Players will not play games to completion and they will immediately stop the second that game gets bad. Reviewers are still humans and they know when they no longer want to play a game because it's gotten to the point where it is no longer interesting. It then gets to the point where you need to play more than that. You need to go beyond 
that initial go that initial response of this game is bad, I no longer want to play, and go to the next step and playing further to find the exact reason and then to articulate that in text. And this once again ties back into actual review scores because of course you can't get that articulation in a simple number. So that's it from me today. This was quite a heavy topic similar to difficulty, review scores and the idea of completing games before review is far from black and white. It requires thought and discussion that is often not done, especially online. It's often used as a my way or the highway, one side versus the other kind of thing, whilst a meaningful debate is often completely bypassed. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Games with Toasty, and you can check out my website, which is www.gameswithtoasty.com. Let me know in the comments if you agree with my takes on review scores and the completion time for review. Until next time, thanks for listening. Happy gaming.